Guess who? And guess what? Footy Prime is launching a gin, and we're having a party to celebrate. Thursday, June 6th, join the whole FB crew for Footy Prime's one-night stand at Nickel Nine Distillery in Toronto. Come celebrate Footy Prime's one-ball gin with Nickel Nine Distillery mixologists on hand, Charmin's proper pies, meet-and-greet and photo ops with your favorite primers, and a live Atska's Almost Anything podcast. Footy Prime's one-night stand, June 6th at 7 p.m. till when we kick you out. Tickets at eventbrite.ca. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to FP Interviews, in-depth conversations with interesting people. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Hello there, football fans, and welcome to Footy Prime. Interview, Shaman's here, Dunlop's here, Jimmy's here, Craig's here. Wong is, he's, he's jumped out for the time being, but it's Wong and we know he, he can't help himself. He'll jump back in at some inappropriate time. Um, we are today delighted to welcome CBC Sports senior contributor Shreen Ahmed for her Footy Prime debut. Now, Shreen, before we get to you know the important stuff like your your love of Bennett Light Beckham, off camera we're just talking about your hatred of ironing. Now, you're a respected journalist who refuses to accept ironing. As, as something that the, the modern person must do. I mean, what is your hatred against ironing? Let's, let's get to the really important stuff off the top here. Yeah, I appreciate this question. I don't think it's discussed enough in important circles, and I appreciate you bringing this matter to light. Uh, it's a form of resistance for me. Um, no, I just am like, you know what? There's a reason I'm a podcaster. There's a, like being on television and Dunlop, you can tell them it's so hard to be hot and smart at the same time. So I'm just like not going to do it. And also, I like who doesn't love the idea of wearing track pants to work every day? I did that pre COVID, folks. <laughs> Craig Forrest has worn the same Puma Zippy uh, for the last four months, I think. Or he might have two now. He's got a variation he goes between. He won't share them. He's got I a do. box full of Puma gear and still will not share it. Mm-hmm. Well, well Jimmy, you know, Jimmy joined us uh, a few months ago now. He hasn't worn pants on one show. And why should he? Why should he? Nobody it's a beauty of podcasting. That too. This work it makes it so much more enjoyable than the regular broadcasting, isn't it, you know, on television because you can do what the hell you like and wear what you like. And to hell, if you don't want to iron something, you don't iron something. That's it. I admit that that's what, one of the things I hated most about working at The Score was we had to do our own ironing. I mean, I did at Sportsnet as well. You did? No one else did. We got, uh, we got a little dry cleaned for us. Man, you must be low on the rung there, B. Jeez. Was I ever? Yeah, I was, uh, I was, the, I was the Twitter person for the footy show. So, yeah, I had, yeah, to, exactly. I really had a makeup person. There is no lower than that. That is like the lowest rung on the broadcast ladder, the, 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 the email internet guy on the footy show. Anyway, to the important stuff, Shereen. Um, listen, Canadian soccer, publicly at least, right, is once the main of the women's team. We know that they bossed it since 2012, but now there's obviously a partner in crime in the men's team. Do you think that soccer now in this country really is a soccer culture or is there still lots of work and progress to be done here? I love that question. And I love the way you put that. Like, I think they're, they're co-conspirators and collaborators towards, towards good and amplifying the game in this country. Um, I do, I actually believe that soccer was always a beautiful soccer nation. I think that this is something that's been building on for a long time. I mean, I, I mean, I've watched it. I've supported it. I remember Craig playing. 
<laughs> so like I, you know, these are things that are important. And I think forgetting about how that history came to be and how that, what that journey was, is, is not something we should do. I think that we should realize and understand how it built. But in terms of, in terms of whether Canada is really a soccer nation, I think the fans, the community have been there for a very long time. Do I think that Soccer Canada is there? No, ironically. Like, are they supporting the programs the way they need to? Not on the women's side. I mean, I actually, you know, I just wrote a column. I read a column every week for CBC. And I was just pondering this. Like, you know, people are talking about, um, you know, questioning Qatar and talking about what's happening there in terms of indentured servitude and the amount of people that will die. But to remember that two things, this is a two prong point that I'm making that will they ask, will the same journalists ask in, in 2026, will they ask Canada about pay equity? Will they ask about how they funded the women's program? Would they ask if they inquired about domestic league, which we do not have? We're the only top 10 ranked FIFA in the women's side nation that doesn't have a domestic women's league. Like Norway does. Do you know how big Norway is? It's like the size of Peterborough or something like that, just randomly. So like, what is, what is the problem? So when you ask, are we a soccer nation? I think we can be. Do I think the higher ups support that? I, I'm not quite there yet on that one. I need to be convinced and they need to do more. Now, secondly, there's an erasure of what's happening. Do you know how many headlines I've seen that say Canada's making its first World Cup appearance in 36 years? I'm like, guys, like, what is this? We hosted a World Cup in 2015. Use the language. It's the men's World Cup because it becomes an erasure. And that's not cool either. Because like if we're trying to build up soccer culture, let's build up soccer culture, not only men's soccer culture, because the women have done that despite all this, in spite of things that had they haven't been supported. So, I mean, from a journalistic perspective, I also think it's accuracy. Let's be accurate when what we're talking about. Um, people keep talking about the first World Cup in the Middle East. That's actually not true. The first FIFA sanctioned tournament in the Middle East was a U-17 women's tournament in 2016 in Jordan. People don't know this. Do your homework, football journalists. So I'm here to kind of be like, you, you're wrong. No, um, in my old cranky voice. Um, <laughs> but it's just, I think that in building soccer culture, media has a huge role to play here. And I will be, I, you know, I count myself lucky to be part of that team, but also let's be like aware of what conversations are happening to grow soccer culture. Hey, Shireen, do you, uh, do you think that uh, where the World Cup, uh, the Men's World Cup is being held, do you think there's any issues uh, with you or uh, with the media uh, of the attention they give, you know, to Qatar and maybe, you know, it's the, the bad stuff as well as the good stuff? Because you, we know Qatar and Russia, for that matter, um, got the World Cup because of changing the narrative and putting something positive spin on their country that's had so much negative news. Yeah, I mean, news flow in Qatar is like very tightly controlled, like in a lot of like places where it's not a democracy. And I think that we saw that in Russia. We saw it in China at the Olympics. Our own, you know, my own friends, journalists didn't take their own phones. They took burners for their monitoring and all these things. And press freedom and journalistic freedom is an integral part of all this. There's a difference between punditry and there's a difference between reporting. And I'm talking about reporting and people that need to ask those questions, which is the part of the game. We have to. Now, in Qatar in particular, of course, like in, whether it's LGBTQ, um, 2S plus communities, whether it's, you know, violations of, uh, of, of human rights and migrant workers and how they live and the conditions and the sweltering heat and the way that Qatar has not documented the deaths that have happened, which are over 6,500 last year, the Guardian reported this. So they're foreseeing that by the time, you know, November 18th, I believe is the first day of the tournament rolls around 11,000 people would have died. That's a lot of people. And I mean, they're not documented fully. There's some reasons that are listed are as unknown. And they're predominantly South Asian laborers. So we're talking Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Um, and, you know, their lives that are considered less worthy, which is so, which is so sad when you think about how grassroots this game is and how connected small communities are to this game. It just, it actually pains me to think about. Um, mm -hmm. But I also, I also at the same time want to be really careful. Like, are we going to be asking the United States why they're the host country, one of the three host countries, when there's actual persecution of just transgender children 
in certain states in the U.S. Like, let's be pointed and ask those questions consistently, not just be like, they're bad over there. Mm -hmm. They're mean to women. They also happen to be like Middle Eastern men. So they're brown. Mm -hmm. And let's, my point is here, let's be consistent and critical the whole way. Let's ask Canada. Mm -hmm about lack of pay equity. Let's ask the U.S. about anti-Blackness and the systems that, you know, obviously Canada and the U.S., but let's ask mm-hmm. about, like, trans like communities getting persecuted. Let's ask Mexico about femicide. Mm-hmm. Like Between now... Sorry, sorry go ahead, Serene. Yeah, no, just, just that's it. Just to say, like, let's not point over there because this is a problem that I feel does arise in football media. It's easier to point at the overseas brown people and be like, they're a problem as opposed mm-hmm. to look around here. You don't think there was militarization in London or gentrification in Vancouver with the Olympics? Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's be real about that. So we're going to see a lot of, um, you know, executives, players, managers, administrators stepping up to the camera the next few months and using the term, we can now shine a spotlight on the issues in this country and force change. We heard Harry Kane prepared statement, basically, you know, and I think it's a bit unfair on footballers, perhaps. But what what can football do, you know, in, in Qatar to bring attention to this? Um, Amnesty International don't support boycotts, for example. People are saying boycott the World Cup, and they don't do that. That's not the solution. I'm not sure what the solution is because it is so controversial. You should shine a light on this stuff, but what should the football world do if, if you're if you are Canada what should you do in, in Qatar to bring attention to these these issues yeah I think that's that's important because there's there's several parts to this and it's interesting you say that we shouldn't put light on the footballers because they're the ones they don't get to decide where the world cup goes and that's something that I had really grappled with I was like do I boycott Russia 2018 they're literally homophobic like like literally um, and I was talking to my friend, uh, Dr. Jules Boykoff, who writes a lot. He's a, he, in the United States on the Pacific uh, Northwest and um, in, in Oregon. Uh, and he told me that there, boycotting isn't the solution here. Yeah, the system needs to rebuild. But like who loses out on that? The athletes themselves and football themselves. So if we leave football because of this, who will ask the questions? Like if we're not there anymore. And I think about this a lot. And then I told my kids, well, we're not watching the World Cup. It's terrible. It's this. They're like, yeah, okay, you can go sit by yourself. We're going to watch it. So that's the thing in order to, we don't critique it because we, we hate it. We critique it because we love it. I don't do this work because I hate football. I do it because I love it and I want to see it better. I support women's football because I want to see it grow. You know, like I'm not out here trying to be people will be like, oh, you're a killjoy. Well, yeah, I'm sorry that it's inconvenient for you trying to make the space better. But that's a you problem, not a me problem. I'm going to do the work that I'm going to do. And, you know, like so I would highly encourage fans. Canadian fans are excited right now, but let's use this momentum. Ask Soccer Canada. Like, have they released a statement? Are they ready to make one? Like, we've seen different teams around the world. We've seen officials from Norway, for example. You know, Norway keeps coming up in my conversation. I, I don't know why that is, especially when I hold, like, a very deep sadness and anger still towards them because of the 2012 call against the women in London. Like, I'm so <laughs> traumatized by that. I don't know why I keep talking about Norway. Anyways, um, so... My point here is just to say there are it is stuff. Don't let anyone, and if you're a fan listening to this, don't let people think that you are voiceless. You're not. You have an ability with your social media. You can ask. You can like follow Human Rights Watch, an organization that monitors these and sports spaces. This is this is part of the, like you know part of what being a fan is to ask. Like what look what happened last year when the proposed Super League took over the idea. It was shut down. Like it went so fast. I know you talked about it. It collapsed so quickly that reporting on it became difficult. Like my podcast, I, I, you know, contacted a friend in London. She did a quick hit with me, but then that became moot so quickly because it was just falling apart. That is what the power that is yielded by fans. Wielded or yielded. I can't remember which word it is, whatever. Wielded by fans. They, they hold that. You have this power to shift momentum. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so powerful. So people paint it. And a lot of Canadians will be watching Qatar because it's the first time we're going in so long to the men's World Cup. So ask those questions, but also keep those questions for other places too. Yeah, great point. Go ahead, Charm. I was saying, but it's, it's so frustrating though when, when you're right. Um, we should stand out 
and, and ask these questions. But when, when FIFA sanctioned a country like Saudi Arabia to play in a World Cup, just, just days after women fans are pepper sprayed for trying to get into a stadium to support a team that they bought tickets for, you know, you, you just want to shake your head sometimes saying, well, you know, our great leaders of the game globally don't give a damn about this. Why should we? Yeah, but there are fans that do. And I believe you're talking about Iran, not Saudi Arabia. Sorry, Iran. Was it Saudi Arabia? Yeah. So uh, Iran, women have actually, and I've written about this quite a bit, Iran bans women from attending uh, stadiums. And they said Gianni Infantino actually promised that he would get involved. He was actually in Tehran two years ago. This is pre-COVID for the Tehran Derby, which is one of the most exciting derbies in international football. It's up there with like Manchester and 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 and. Madrid. And he was there when almost 30 women were detained for attending. And um, it's something that I believe is so egregious, like to al- not allow women to watch. All they want to do is watch. And the reason was that Human Rights Watch did report on this as well, is that they said that the Iranian Football Federation said they weren't, they couldn't accommodate in time. They couldn't make like, you know, and I'm like, what needs to be accommodated? They need to sit in a seat. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be a public bathroom. Like that's that's embedded into the structure of um, Azadi Stadium, and which is in Tehran. And uh, irony of all this is Azadi means freedom in in Persia. And so it's like, yeah, it's it's terrible. And and that's the same time they're not. Why are they not sanctioned? Why is Iran not sanctioned? But again, flip side, they have a burgeoning women's side, and you know. Uh, Katayn Khasroyar, she's a woman that she's an American Iranian woman that coaches them. And I know her quite well. Like I, she's building something there and they're incredible in futsal. If you follow futsal, Iranian women are like a, one of the top countries in, in the right, AFC. Yeah. They're, and they're like, they go viral. Um, and, you know, if you shut it down, you shut that down. So what are, what are our steps here when there are places that are growing and trying to get in and trying to learn? Like, how do we, it's like a minefield. Hmm. And does, who, uh, do, does a coach of uh, Iran, does she uh, have threats? I mean, just being a woman coach and head of the women's team? No, this is the, this is the interesting thing. Like there's perceptions about what happens there. Fans love her. They play in parks. They are, it's like literally, we're talking about a, a authoritarian regime here. So the higher ups don't like it. And she, by nature, I mean, Persians love football. It's not just volleyball they're good at. They love football and they're good at it. And I mean, I still remember one of the most thrilling moments for me when Aludas of Biedvan, stop, sorry. Brendan, this might hurt. Um, he stopped Ronaldo's pen. Do you remember that in the 28? I think it was pool in, in the group stages when he, I was like, group stages? Yeah, he stopped Ronaldo's pen and the world went wild. And I went wild because I was like, you see, like these are stories. And he was someone who was previously homeless. So the stories that happen there are beautiful. And I love those stories. Those are stories that, that are part of the game. Like Persians love football, like everything else. And you know, the women's side does, they're supported so unequivocally by their own, the, like their, their teams and their communities. Of course, there's naysayer and haters for, in every place, right? Like you have people saying that in Canada, that they should, when the women in our country, the, the, the national team shouldn't get the same amount of money as the men. Like you've got people saying that all over the world. So it's not like misogyny and sexism isn't specific to Iran. It's a global problem. Mm-hmm. It really is a global, like, I mean, the USA just literally sued their employers, so don't tell me that's the problem overseas. It very much exists here. Mm-hmm. Um, Shereen, I want to take the conversation to France. I know you cheer for France at the World Cup. Um, I think they've got a, a very good team, the the reigning champions. Um, but just one more serious point. Um, one of the, the, I think it was one of the first articles that uh, that you wrote for CBC, uh, at least at the end of last year, um, but about the uh, hijab ban in France. Um, just a little more about that, and if that went through, and and you know. I guess a little bit into why it seems like Islamophobia is just layered in all of this legislature in France, like time and time again. Yeah, that thanks, um, Brennan. That's that was something that was a proposed hijab ban to basically ban young women and girls from at playing sports anywhere in France. So we've seen it with the Burkini ban in 2017, where women were like literally just trying to enjoy the countryside in France. Like it's the most French thing. You go to like the Mediterranean coast and you go and you you know, just sit on the beach, but they were literally getting 
their clothing ripped off of them, their head scarves, which is incredibly violent. And I've said this and I'll say it again, that forcing women out of clothing is as violent as forcing them into it. it. Women should have a right to wear what they want safely. And that applies to sports like on the pitch and off. And I don't know if people know this, but in France, currently in the world is the only country that still prohibits headscarves, even though the hijab ban was struck down in 2014. Um, they refuse to because they say the name of laicite, which is uh, 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 in English, uh, neutrality, religious neutrality. So they they argue that, that, you know, headscarves are oppressive. And this is the other problem. They keep arguing that headscarves are oppressive for Muslim women who choose to wear them, but they're not actually talking to the Muslim women that wear them. So like, tell me again about feminism. Like, what? What is that? That makes no sense to me. But again, uh, you know, and then we've heard Noel Ducat get on there and be like, oh, there's no racism in French football. Like, bruh, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? If you have to get out there and say there's no racism in my federation, then, like, I'm sorry. So there's so many structural problems in in institutionalized racism and anti-Muslim sentiment, gendered Islamophobia. And it feels like Muslim women are the easiest to pick on because they're, you know, again, they they have no agency. But, like, if you think a woman's agency is connected to what she's she's wearing, then you're the problem. Because, you know, that type of violence occurs anywhere. Again, we see it in North America. You know, I was funny. There was a commentator I know that was like, oh, well, Muslim women shouldn't have, shouldn't wear hijab. And I'm like, you have no right to say what I wear. You have no right to say what I do with my body. Like the United States is a country that's trying to, trying to push back reproductive, reproductive rights for like 50 years. Like, are you kidding me? You have no right to comment and look over there and say, you know, and then as Canadians, we generally feel like, oh, well, this doesn't happen here. But I'm sorry, look at Quebec. I wouldn't be able to teach in a classroom if I lived in Quebec. I have friends that were born and raised that have left Quebec because they can't they can't wear headscarves. They can't live without that institutionalized. And it's so hard. You know, they people who are from Montreal love Montreal hard. You know that. Like they are big. And I love that city, but do I love that political culture? No. And does it seep into into sports culture? Yes. And Quebec was the last country in Canada to allow headscarves, including it's not just Muslim women in hijabs. It's like men in Sikh men in turbans or Jewish men with kippah. They also were like, no, you can't wear any of that. Like, what does that say to you? You know, and we don't need to even we know what it's like, that culture. Yeah. It's about choice, isn't it, Shireen? I mean, I know Jimmy. Jimmy doesn't like to wear boxers either, so we got no we got no issues with that. It's a fact. <laughs> hey, Shireen, um, can football affect societal change, or has it got to be vice versa? It really comes down to it. I think both happens at the same time. I mean, there's ways for us to sit here. Like when you think about the moment, okay, so yes, I have to pretend to be like a capitalist and I hit this, even though I like literally rely on my Amazon Prime membership. But <laughs> like, I, I'm that person that cries in Procter and Gamble ads, right? I'm the person like to my mom and, you know, those things that come out during before mega events. So when, remember when Waving Flag came out, was it 2014? Was it Brazil? When, 2010, was it, I think, wasn't 20, it? Was it that old? Was it going on, right? Yeah, yeah, 2010. It's that old, eh? Okay. Yeah. So they did this one Coca-Cola spot from all over the world, and they did, like, different versions of the song. And I get goosebumps when I think about it. When you think about, and I'm getting goosebumps talking about this, you're watching the World Cup final. You were literally cheering with one billion people. That moment of euphoria when a ball goes in or that moment of like devastation. You're experiencing that at the same time as all these other people around the world in real time. Like that is mind blowing to me. And it's like Twitter, you know, there's chat groups, there's WhatsApp groups, there's like Zoom calls and there's like this and there's that. And there's there's just that feeling of like, this is, this is wild. I happen to be, where was I for the final? And I'm trying to remember, I think it was in Argentina in, in 2018 for the men's world cup. And, you know, like it was, it was, it was just something else. And, and I was in a different part of the country. My kids are in a different part of the country. And like the, my group, I have like a Twitter group and like a people who just watch together. Hmm. And it was, we're all in different places all over the world invested in this thing at the same time. What could be more powerful than that? Mm-hmm. 
to change culture and to start conversations and keep keep having conversations. Like, and I don't mean to be dismissive and uh, of important issues, but there's moments that you just want to live in the game and live that moment. And then there's there's a time for like what I do is generally like when I'm watching a game or if I'm watching a match or something, I'll put in something to read at halftime because there's eyes on it. Oh, look at this piece that this person wrote about this. And this is your halftime reading or, you know, something to think about afterwards. There are spaces and people are like, oh, well, this isn't the time and the place. No, this is exactly the time and the place. Hey, Shereen, can I ask you, I mean, this is, a, a, you know, going back to pay equity and um, the Men's World Cup get over a billion people for the final. The Women's World Cup quickly. The, the game is growing. The women's game is growing incredibly quickly, and it's going to be beneficial for for FIFA down the road. Um, and their final is a Super Bowl number, pretty much eighty something million for the women's final. Uh, but it hasn't got to the level of the men yet. So is is the argument that it's a um, decision made on money made as opposed to pay equity? And if the women had a billion people watching the final, they would be paid accordingly is that an is that a good argument or not i'm not a business person but i can tell you this if you want to make money you have to invest it and the most watched match in canada is still like two percent it's still like 2015 the open air of the women's world cup <laughs> and in this country the most watched football match wasn't the men's it was actually the women's final in in in, in tokyo so like that's without putting the resources towards like to women that they have towards the men. The product is there. We know the product and is, um, you know, really, 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 really good. We already know that. Right. So it, it's a matter of putting your money where your mouth is. It's one thing for like Nick Bontis to get up there and be like, you know, we support the women, but do you bruh? Like, have you brought new mar- like marketing sponsors? Have you brought new, you know, campaigns towards them? They literally won gold six months ago. What's happened since then or eight months ago? I still feel like it's February. I know it's not, but like, that's what is my time answer. anymore? What, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, um, so like in terms of pay equity, like did, did, did leagues, make, you know, and, and the merchandise. The other thing is you want to talk about money making. Canadian women's merchandise isn't actually available. You like it's not readily available. And I know I was on uh the current a couple um months ago with Diana and she made this point. She's like, this isn't a a shipping concern. Like the men's stuff is there. This isn't about, you know, COVID and delays and stuff. This is just about um, like a dragging of feet uh, in terms of this program. Like what else do the women have to do? They've literally won gold at the Olympics. What else has to be done for Canada soccer to really push? I don't know how many people they're like, Hey, Shireen, can you get me a Jersey, a woman's Jersey? I'm like, I can't get a woman's. They, they're not there. Mm-hmm. I can get a, a, like, you know, and of course we have one, um, a Davies Jersey, Alfonso Davies Jersey with like, with a, something like that in women's sizes, but you cannot get women's jerseys. In, in any size, like what is that's bizarre to me. It is yeah, we, we spoke to uh, to Beth Priestman and she was saying that no matter what, they win the gold medal. Yet that envelope that goes in her desk after the Olympics about her budget for the year doesn't change. It's the same thing. And that's a large reason why John Herman switched to the men's program. He realized that for, for the women's program to benefit and to get more money, the men's team must be successful. Seems Seems ludicrous, but that is the reality, isn't it? No, I think that that makes sense. And with the World Cup being hosted by U.S., Mexico, and Canada in four years, money, a lot of money will be coming. Why do you think there's a push to go to 48 teams? Because more money, right? And so there's a really really incredible point that Diana made was that that money should be, they should be transparent about it, Canada Soccer, um, uh, Soccer Canada rather, and show where it's going. And there should be that investment. And it's sad to think that after winning a gold medal, we have to wait for that money to be funneled. But it's true. The check doesn't change. And, you know, are, are the men's salaries, uh, are they transparent about what they are paying them? And then before this year, and I'm not talking about right now, I'm talking about like this conversation has been happening for a long time. Two years ago, the men's side was still on the way to the World Cup. 
But the women had, you know, been to the World Cup several times. And I just think that that, that check that you speak of, people want to know what's in other people's checks. And to be quite honest, that's the only way that you're going to solve a pay equity problem is to understand what you're working with and what the numbers are. And then you can determine. But right now, like, Soccer Canada is super secretive about that kind of stuff, right? Like, if I email them and like, I want to know the salaries of everybody, mm, that's not gonna that's not gonna go over well. Makes me think I should do that. I'll put them on my if you email them about anything, you're gonna get no answers. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta text them, Craig. I Don't text I- them now, and I'm like, <laughs> so you know, I think that it's it's. It's, it's one of those things and getting back to the point about asking questions, whether it's about Qatar or whatever, it's Canada here. Those are the questions that need to be asked. Like the job of journalists is to, is, is to really report, but also to, there's, a, there's an accountability that is important here and accountability, not just to the game itself, but to the fans, to the players. Like, like Christine Sinclair is one of the most recognizable faces in this country, which is ironic because she hates media. So it's like so funny. But the way that it's like a Justin Bieber concert, honestly, like people just go wild to see this team and they've earned it. And the culture of that team is so, so incredible. Like they've been at the forefront in this country of talking about Black Lives Matter, of recognizing Indigenous struggles, of talking about... We're the only country in the world that has a gold winner non-binary athlete with Quinn. Like, it's it's so great. And they are supportive. They're open to conversations. And they're led by their own consciousness. Consciousness. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Consciousness. Yeah. It sounds, yeah. sounds good. It sounds really you should, good. You should hear the words that Craig makes up. So. <laughs> we just all think, oh, it's that part of England he was in. Uh, it's, 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 well, that was Dickio. <laughs> Dickio made words up all the time. Deech all the time made up words. Yeah. yeah. Hey, are we all, they made sense, yeah. though. They meant yeah. said so. You, you actually knew what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, kinda, Danny Dickio. Um, close. Are we all on the same page that... Uh, when in celebrating that we're not going to have a World Cup every two years, that Infantino's retired that idea? I can't. I can't with that man. Like, I feel like it's it's so... Okay, so Platini's coming out and saying, oh, I think that 98 was rigged and we, we were... I know it was rigged for us to face Brazil in the final. And then subbladders like, oh, this thing happened and it's it's rigged with hot... I saw this headline the other day. I'm not kidding. It, it, I, it, I laughed so hard and the headline was, and I'm going to read it because I still have it pulled up here. It's so funny. It is, uh, Sap Blatter claims European draws fixed with hot and cold balls. <laughs> that was like legitimately. Oh, yeah. we, and I we've always talked about, about that. Re- reaching in. It's like, it's, ah, ah, ow, ow, ow. Yeah. <laughs> so like, exactly. Like They're it's too just, hot. It's it's so funny to me. So like he's coming, everyone's coming out now. I'm wondering what Infantino, does he have a couple drawers of watches or whatnot, but what's he going to come out to say? And don't forget Platini and Sepplatter will be eligible because their sentences are bans. Life bans were reduced. They'll be eligible to re-enter football next year. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I just, I found that out. My co-host, Dr. Brenda Elsie for my podcast, put it all down. She brought this up and I was like, oh my gosh, I'd, I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten about that. So Infantino, like he meets some of the most problematic heads of state in the world. What are those conversations? And I will bring this up that FIFA itself is considered a mafia by many and how corrupt it is. And about 10 years ago, was it 10 or eight years ago, I was in Las Vegas and um, I went my ex-husband had a conference and at the time I was like, I'm just going to tag along. So I would walk the strip and I read about a mafia museum that is in Las Vegas. They had a special exhibit dedicated to FIFA. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't yeah, want amazing. Me and Jimmy I, could, have, amazing. Uh, could have actually told him a few things ourselves. I mean, when you look at, you know, FIFA, Sepp Blatter, Jack Warner, Chuck Blazer, yeah. you know, was there a CONCACAF section in that museum? Cause <laughs> There would be a big one there. I didn't pay the $29 to go in because I was just like, that's that's so much money. And I was trying to find a way to scam out of paying it, which would have been, you know, appropriate for it being a mafia museum. But I, I didn't actually go in. But I just <laughs> I didn't I didn't 
Yeah, but like I just remember seeing that and going, how apropos is that? It is. Because yeah. it, it, like the, the place is genuinely like this is an organization that doesn't like dissent, that doesn't like resistance. Um, and just, you know, whether it's from the an ex-committee or non-ex-committee member, doesn't like being questioned at all in any capacity. So you're really good. Like what is more totalitarian than that? You make false promises. You say you'll help Iranian women get into stadiums. And three years later, you're not doing that. Where, who does, and it's essentially an organization that can act with impunity because who is going to hold them accountable? I think the trouble is, is, is that people still compare them to the previous regime, which was even worse. So these guys are much better. It doesn't mean they're good, but they're much better, right? Um, you know what? It's really funny. I don't know if they're not as worse. I think that Infantino is generally, he comes across as more charming than Zeppelotter. I think mm-hmm. they're equally as egregious in what they do and what they don't do. I, I think that he just has a way to, he feels that he's charming people. And, uh, but he's also notoriously, you know, just, He's notorious for not doing anything substantive. Like what major change has FIFA brought to the game? We've seen federations uh, create, like come and start equal pain. We've seen different things happen. Um, and there are, like, I do want to say this, that there's a lot of really fascinating work being done through football around the world. Um, like Lewis FC is a club in the UK that I'm actually a member of. I have a card. I, I own a share in Lewis FC and I'm really proud of it. I got a green toque. So like, you know, I didn't wear it today, but like it's there, there's places in the world, whether they're run by women or grassroots uh, organizations, football beyond borders is one of them. There's, there's so many that do such important things all over. Um, even in Canada, there's grassroots because it's, think about how beautiful this is. You can include 22 people in one ball with very little money. It doesn't require the equipment of hockey or the, you know, the, that kind of thing. And you can play it virtually anywhere. We've, we see it being played in streets and alleys and mountains mm-hmm. everywhere. Like I can wax poetic about football all day. So you'd have to be really stupid and ignorant to botch it up is what my point is. You know, one of the big things you're into is uh, the cost uh, isn't hockey in Canada, but in the United States and Canada, it's getting more expensive. And you're seeing uh, academies, which are great for coaches to be able to make a living and whatnot. And there's costs uh, to that. But uh, the likes of Alfonso Davies, um, like I've always said, it's a community story more than a football story because of the support that he had, but they couldn't afford to play it either. And they certainly couldn't afford to pay three and a half, four, five thousand dollars a season for belonging to a league or a, a club or an academy that that's getting almost to the point where it's, uh, it's, it's unreachable for many people. One in three families in Canada can't afford to put their, their kids in re- recreation or organized sports. How do we change that? Pay to play is such a, it's such a difficult system because that's precisely, as you were saying, Craig, that's what it is. It's who has the money to do this. Now I had, we, like, we had four, four kids. Um, and now I'm a single mom with still like a high, like a high performance athlete. And I, we had, he's a volleyball player and he had a high ankle sprain the other day. And I was like, I am going to go broke paying for physio. Like, so it's not just the cost associated with team fees. It's everything else that comes around it. Mm-hmm. And in this country, dental isn't paid for. And ask a hockey parent how important dental is, right? Ask, you know, like physio, athletic therapy, even, you know, sports psychology, which is becoming imperative. And the more we talk about mental health, the more we realize the connections, the importance of having those conversations. So, you know, I, I know what it's like. And also, when you think about the way the system works, and I've griped to Craig about this in the past, that if your kid doesn't get selected for a certain team or advancement, they lose out on that opportunity and it doesn't become fun anymore. It becomes you've got eight-year-olds vying for a spot somewhere, which is just, there's overtraining. Like, I played with you of Tio and my daughter was 14. She was doing more advanced roles than we had done. Like, you know, we trained three days a week and, you know, had like had away games and stuff and traveled on the weekend, but for a short season. But the stuff that she was doing 12 months a year, there was no break because you go from outdoor and in Canada, you go to the dome. 
And there's, you know, it's just, it's like a grind and there's so much competition and academies give you an edge. They'll bring coaches um, who have played professionally and like, we'll coach you and it becomes expensive, but that training is so important, that extra edge, right? That extra edge is, 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 is put in that way. And so are we checking in with the kids to be like, are you even having fun? I used to ask my kid, are you even having fun anymore? Like, do you, do you still love this? And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I am. And there's certain teams that she played with that were more fun than others. We finally found a really good home. Um, and there's the way that the coaches use uh, the kids in a way that's like more political than anything else. There's a trouble politics with parent coaches. And this is all after paying thousands of dollars. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't have a solution because I don't know what else to do. And I also understand that having a child that was very competitive, playing recreationally only wasn't enough for her. She wanted, she craved that competition. She's at the level where she wanted that competition. So, so, you know, like I I, I think about that. I've always said to people too, you know, that uh, I think it's, you know, they go to the women's game on, they're going to, be there hopefully in their thousands on Friday and in, in Vancouver, which I believe will be the case. A men's team, there's you know, but it it seems so tangible. Uh, I think for for parents and 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 young athletes, they they want to be part of it. They want to make the top, but there's it's fractional. Like it's just such a small percentage that ever do it, but it seems so close to them. So they're willing to spend and spend uh, to, to get there for their their kids, which is, uh, acceptable of, of course. But, uh, again, I think that you, you nailed it is, are they having fun? Because at the end of the day, we're a long time retired. I'm now a fan. I'm now a guy that likes to play, kick the ball around the park for fun. I don't get out as much as I like to, but I try to get you out to go at league. I've, I've tried to get you to play on my team. You're always busy. Well, the two o'clock in the morning show, it's terrible. That's that's why we know that's a lie because I haven't kicked the ball with you in what, 10 years. You never go out and kick a ball anymore. Well, because I never asked you because you're terrible. Well, (laughs) David Dunlop. Yeah, honestly. He hasn't seen you. Sharms hasn't seen you. So where are you playing? With Wonger. With the cats, with the walk. <laughs> you know what? That, that whole the whole financial side, though. I mean, that I think Shreen is the the side that was ignored by Bendit like Beckham, and they really should have delved into that angle. You know, in the movie, I know that you're an aficionado, according to your Twitter bio, of Bendit like Beckham. I'm a scholar, um, that, James. I'm a scholar. Oh, sorry, scholar was it? Sorry, a scholar. Please explain to me. You know, I always thought that the yeah, the, the the title of the movie kind of took away a little bit from the actual movie itself. Where, where's Beckham? Never showed up. Wasn't enough, but it was actually a pretty important movie. It was a great movie, but it did allude to inequity and in pay because the the entire idea that that Joe wanted to coach women and that they were becoming professional and like it, that was alluded to definitely within the film that they didn't have the equipment, they got second choice for timings for trainings that they had to train at midday because you know that was all implied in the film so there was that discussion that you know they didn't get the attention and the resources that the men's side did and it would be unfathomable for joe to want to coach the women when he had the opportunity to coach the men so that that was that was there like hit me with a criticism and i'll defend this movie seriously (laughs) yeah come on charms that was one hour full disclosure it's been a number of years since i've watched the movie but now now, I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, oh, you know, I, my, my daughter should watch it, actually. She should watch it. So you know what? I've got a daddy-daughter date coming up later this week, and, and we're going to watch that movie. It's it's a fantastic film, and I think it's a film. I, I got to interview Gurinder Chad, had the filmmaker, two years ago. And um, it was it really touched on forget about just the representation because you know there's, there's comments to be made about that. I come from the South Asian community. We're predominant South Asian players. Like, and there's like there's a definitely economic barriers to that. Like when immigrant communities come to Canada, newcomers come, sports are not a priority. Like education and stability and economic, you know, understanding are and having stability. So paying thousands of dollars, which is why programs like, um, you know, with Canadian Tires Jumpstart. So they pay for fees, even if it is recreationally. And like, Craig, I don't know if you told these guys this, but the way that I met Craig was because when Syrian refugees came to Canada, we started up like a, a program 
Um, and it was very impromptu. And every Wednesday morning from 10 to 12, these young kids who were traumatized from displacement and from conflict and from war would come and they would play this pickup soccer like it was the men's World Cup final. There were tears, there were, there was emotion and we're playing on a gym in a mosque just because we got the free space. And Craig would stand there for two hours and like these rowdy eight-year-olds to 12 to would just shoot on him. And then I was like, and that's how I met him. But also thinking about later that when I contacted Jumpstart, they were like, we'll pay for everybody's league fees. Just get them. We'll find them equipment, get them stuff, just put them in the sport. And I will never forget that because I remember thinking, how am I, what am I going to do with these kids that will drive their mother's bananas in the summertime? Because, you know, living in places like Toronto, there's not that, it's like an urban place. You don't have those sprawling parks and stuff like this. What are they going to do? And they craved and they wanted, and they would go for walks in parks and see other children playing and sports should be a right, you know, it's it, it, for children to play. So Jumpstart and programs like this are really, really important and having good culture around it. So like, I think about that a lot. That's actually the story. And I remember telling Craig, and I'm going to sing your praises now and you'll get all red and funny, is that I said to him at the time, can I write a story about this? And he was like, no, I don't want anyone to know. And he did his thing. And when I tell you that by the end of that, those two hours, there's kids like, hey, he's so tall. There was kids hanging off of him, literally, like on his legs and his arms. And it was a really beautiful time. And we didn't run this program for super long. I think it was like four months because they were just in temporary housing when they got to Toronto and after they had landed. And then they would be settled into homes. That's the way the system works. But while they were there at that time, and when I still see parents around the community going for walks, they still talk about that time. That it's, it's like their children's first, because it's a way to handle trauma. Sport is used in refugee camps around the world to help kids with trauma, to help families who have lost everything. And soccer is the way to do that. So Sharms, when you were asking earlier, can it help culture? No, but it can support positive culture and development and growth and empowerment. Um, it can do all of those things. It's also nice now and again to hear stories, you know, that, that, Prove that Craig is something other than a bad person. <laughs> you know what? I will defend Bendit like Beckham, and I'll defend Craig Forrest. <laughs> and he's he's yeah, a sweetie, and just someone you know. And, and all of you, even having this conversation, is really important. I, you have you're an all male team, but you give space to talk about issues and women. That's equally important because it can't be the job of the women to only uphold the women. Like we talked about you know, men being collaborators. This is what it's going to take. It's going to take podcasts like this to talk about it, to have guests like me on, to continue the conversation. That's why it is so important. So other, you know, other podcasts need to follow your lead and need to do that. And journalists need to do the same thing. They need yeah. to ask the questions. So, you know, and the work that's being done. And Craig, I still want to talk about that story. I'll find a place for it sometime. <laughs> you know, we now feel uh, bad for laughing at him for saying that he's been playing soccer. We're like, we haven't seen you. Where have you been? Oh, actually, that's <laughs> yeah. You guys feel bad now, don't <laughs> you? You bunch of assholes. You're playing regularly <laughs> with the children. What you were just saying there, I think it's it's very important. You're right. We 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 are an all male cast, but I think um, when you look at it, we we all have daughters, and we want what's best and best opportunity for our daughters uh, as, they, as they grow and start to find the path in, in their life. Um, and I think that's why we, we support everything that you're saying. And, and we do, we do give opportunities for people like yourself to come on and, and, and talk and, and really kind of uh, exploit a lot of issues that are out there. Um, and we do, we do have to make sense and we have to support it. We would and have that, you on full time, Shireen, and be part of the team if you had had time. But you guys, time. I think you're rather busy. Yeah, you're, you're, you're teaching at Ryerson. You're, you're a competitive uh, athletic mom. Yeah, that that is like honestly, they asked me to score on the weekend volleyball. So it's such a weird sport. Like I love it, but it's so weird. Like I'm used to like hollering parents and this and the chaos of soccer. You're yelling at the rough. That does not happen. <laughs> it is true. bizarrely quiet mm -hmm. and like i'm just like the first time i ever went to go watch a game was years ago and my eldest played and also in a competitive team and i was like kill it kill it he's like 
don't, don't bring that energy here. Like, just don't. This is not soccer. Keep your soccer stuff to yourself. Like, I mean, even the women's league that I still play with, um, we're we're like loud and noisy. We challenge the ref all the time. Like, you know, nobody actually knows for sure if we can slide tackle or not. And I say we can, even though I won't commit to it because I want to keep all my ligaments intact. Like I'm 45 <laughs> years old. Honestly, like I am very interested in keeping my legs okay. Um, I have a personal prayer, a spiritual prayer, like God protect my ligaments in this game. Um, but like, you know, you like you guys know it's, it's harder, but like, and just to jump back to what Jimmy was saying about having a kid, Jimmy, I'll push back at you though. I don't want to do this because I have a daughter. I want to do this because I have sons that can support those girls. And even if you didn't have a girl, I would press you to say that you would still care. So you should care. No, of, of, of course. And we, listen, we do care. Um, and we, it is an important issue. Um, and I've got two boys as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my daughter's my little princess. So I just, I want the best for her and I want her to have a, a great life and many opportunities um, for all my kids. But I think it's, it, it, there's times where we have to make a stance and if we have that opportunity or platform, then we have to get involved and, and make a change. Yeah. And if that's your entry point into it, then that's where it'll be. It's where it has to be because you want her to have the same chance. If she decides she wants to play pro soccer, she has to leave your house, yeah. your home and her country to do that. Well, it, do exactly. And and it, I think one of the, one of the differences was like, I, I grew up in a family of all boys. Um, and it, it was, it was entirely different. And I think the, the, the realization came to me when I had a daughter and I was going, this is completely different. It was so different. And just uh, our bond that we have. And, and you start to look at all these issues and, and really kind of understand it more than what I did when I was, when I was younger just me and my brothers, because you, you don't really pay too much attention to it. So I think there's got to be something that, that draws your attention. And, and my daughter was definitely the, the one that, that drew my attention to certain issues. And that's, that's really important. And like, for me, my sons have only ever watched professional women's hockey. I've never, well, first of all, I cannot afford lose tickets and I can't go because I'm a Habs fan, but, um, no, we can, but I, I've taken them to women's like, so when, you know, the PWHPA or the PHF, the Toronto six is playing, my boys have gone because I can afford the tickets and they've only ever, I mean, I'm sorry, tell me that watching Natalie Spooner play. And I know I'm flipping into different sports now, but like, seriously, like they've watched the women. There was a point where my boys could only name the Canadian women's national soccer team. They couldn't name more than Atiba Hutchinson. Other back in the day, I could only name a team but like yeah, now that's they get right. So like, yeah, it's 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 growing and and like taking them and you know, my son said to me last year, the one who plays volleyball, he plays basketball too. He's like, I said, what do you want for your birthday? He's like, I want a WNBA sweater. And my other one said, I want a sink jersey, sinky jersey. And I was like, Well, I got to get you one. And you know, but just just that idea that. It isn't women's sports are for women. They're for everyone. And that, you know, and like you want to see like, Jimmy, I want to see your daughter play and I want to see you all in the stands. Like this is where that, that shift happens and how, again, coming back to the idea of collaborators, this is what it gets back to. The responsibility is just as much on men to support women's sports Mm -hmm. as it is on women to amplify. Yeah. Because don't you think that, I mean, it's a cultural thing where even women that watch sports are watching men's sports because they've, that's where they've been pushed uh, to as opposed to us supporting men supporting women's sports. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's an argument that people throw, well, more men watch sports. Well, yes, yes, they do. But why is that? And and why aren't more women watching women's sports? And I think that uh, that cultural thing growing up and growing up with men's sports uh, being thrown at your left, right, and center is, is, is a factor to why women don't watch as much women's sports. So it's a, a cultural thing we all need to change, don't you think? Yeah, but also women's sports aren't as widely televised. Like, I mean, that's the other issue. Like, I remember a couple of years ago to watch the Women's Champs League. I had to watch it via Facebook. Like, I couldn't even yeah. watch it. Like, I had to be at my desk or my laptop. And like, now it's 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 picked up. Paramount Plus has picked it up, and then you can find it mm-hmm. here. And like, I didn't have to go to Reddit to find an illegal shady stream. Not that I would have if anyone's listening. <laughs> um, yeah. But like, mm-hmm. to watch Arsenal women for years. Because I'm a long-suffering Arsenal supporter that, um, like, when I say suffering, yeah. emphasis on suffering. No, in so. a capitalistic world, 
<laughs> in a capitalistic world that we live in, um, do you think that, uh, I mean, we're seeing, you know, Women's Champions League on zone and they're picking this up, but they're not doing it for the, the love of the game. Let's face it. They're doing it because they can make money off it. Right. So when it gets to a point where they can make money off it, they're all in. But until they see that, it's not the case. So I think like in Canada, for instance, TSN Sports Center, they're in a different world than CBC. CBC is the perfect platform for women's football to grow, grow it because then you don't have to rely on bosses at Bell and Rogers to basically say, guys, there's no money in it for us. There's no money. It's a losing property. And we're we're not into that. But CBC is a different animal. And I think that they could be the, the difference maker in Canada. Do you think so? Uh, are bosses listening, Brendan? Uh, uh, I think. <laughs> well, that's right. right? But, are they? But, but I, I actually think any platform is a good platform. Is the CBC the best place? Yes. Is TSM the best place? Yes. Is Sportsnet? Yes. I think they all serve a purpose and I want to see them everywhere. And. I agree with you. Dazone picking it up or one soccer picking it up, women's sports, it matters. And you know, like I'm not going to say that we shouldn't feed into the capital system because it's actually the only system we have. So like I said, I would be a bad socialist, but honestly, like that's what we're working with. Um, I would, I subscribed to, to watch the NWSL during 2020. When on earth am I going to buy a CBS pass? When? I did to also I was at home and it was better than watching Tiger King, but I did watch Tiger King, but everybody <laughs> did. But I watched the, the Challenge Cup that year and I bought a pass, you know, to watch the WNBA. Now you can see it on one of the sports channels, but two years ago, you couldn't. You had to buy specialty passes. But guess what? People are doing that. I found out and I got to interview a woman named Jenny uh, uh, Wynn um, in Portland who opened a place called the Sports Bra, which is a, a bar for women's sports. And she was talking about what's available. And she quoted me as a figure that out of 8,000 uh, games that are shown on, um, you know, this, this specialty channel for streaming that ESPN has, a business channel they have, only like six of them. It was something like, like, it was a ridiculous number. It was like 15 or six out of 8,000. Yeah, weekly, weekly. Yeah. And it was like, so... You can't blame, it's like a chicken and egg. You can't blame people for not watching if it's not ready yep. available to watch. And I'm sorry, let's not forget that leagues in this country, did the CPL make tons of money in its first year? No. Well, I no. mean, that's the thing. It didn't. And people, it kept growing. People kept investing. And like, I'm from Halifax originally. and People love the Wanderers, but it didn't start off like that. It took time to build. And so we have to do the same with women's money. They're like, oh, it's not making money. Did you invest any, bro? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I think it's so short-sighted for, for these networks to wait for a lead to become relevant rather than helping it to become relevant. And that's the secret. We've seen 91,000 fans in a classical women's game last week. is incredible, right? I'm watching a lot of uh, Sky TV, you know, legally, honestly. Um, but they cover the Women's League um, and the Women's Champions League much like they cover the Men's Champions League. There are There is progress. It's bloody slow. We know that, but there is progress. Um, Shireen, thank you so much for this. We could go on a, a lot longer. And I know you're busy, but we need to get you back on um, relatively frequently. Um, we, we can't pay you. No. We'll, we'll yeah. time it based on Arsenal's performances. Too. We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Arsenal's fixture list and we'll try and time it. <laughs> yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. We'll still sports next time as well, because obviously you, you know your stuff better than us, actually. But uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, and I'll make uh, Brendan buy me a latte next time he sees me, and I can I can just cry into his shoulder about how badly Arsenal's doing. Oh my gosh! We, we, and, I, and I mean I mean the men's side because if it wasn't for Lake Mertens, I would have no self esteem or self respect left. <laughs> <laughs> no, anytime, Shreen. and Ramadan Mubarak as well. Oh, thank you. Yes. And uh, let, let the listeners know where we can find Burn It All Down. How often are you doing it now? Uh, we have always been weekly. It's our fifth year, uh, which is like wild to me. It's really wild to me. We've been doing this. Um, yeah, we had a podcast before COVID is like our claim to fame. We've been doing this for so long. Um, so <laughs> I'm, we're on Twitter, burn it all down. Um, pod, I think it is. God, I should know this. Anyway, find me on Twitter. These guys don't know our social media. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, what is that again? Um, and then I'm uh, on Twitter. I live on Twitter. Uh, it's at underscore Shereen Ahmed underscore. And um, 
www.sharinahmed.com is my, my work and stuff. And you'll find me. I'm trying to get onto TikTok, much to my children's chagrin. They're like, please stop being on TikTok, but it's fun. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's good times. And like, you know, thanks again for all the work you all are doing and the conversations you're holding. And it's it's nice to be here. Um, as a producer, I just want to say thank you, Shireen, for joining us. I have a few things to say just to finalize this. Unlike you, Wunger. Yeah, Seth Blatter and Michelle Platini, best people ever. Bendit <laughs> like Beckham, horrible movie. Oh, and, easy, man. And Craig, Craig and I play soccer slash football every week together. For about two <laughs> we run around and then we lie on the couch. <laughs> the kitchen, yeah. But leave. In the kitchen. You play, you just you pick a lemon on the floor in the kitchen. Yeah. But Shereen, thank you so much. Uh, as Sharp said, love having you on. Well, we're going to reach out. Um, great conversation. I had to listen to the whole thing, and I wasn't bored once. So oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> can you could, wait? If you ever meet my kids, can you please tell them that they're like, I, they're like, we can't believe people want to listen to you talk. <laughs> I, I, my, my two daughters are the same way. They're always like, you, you've got a podcast that's popular. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think we're I think we're more surprised than uh, than they are actually. When we're yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for praise from the kids, you're not going to get it. No, yeah. no, no. no. Shreen, thank you no, so no. much. We'll chat real soon. Thank you for having me.